listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We're going to hear God's Word read from Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 to 15. So let's hear God's Word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. This is God's word. Here at Trinity, um, we're beginning today a new sermon series, which is going to run through this summer, looking at the Lord's Prayer, as it's traditionally known. And throughout the history of the church, when the church has sought to help people know what it is to be a Christian and uh, what it is to live as a Christian, uh, teaching people to pray the Lord's Prayer has been right at the centre of the church's focus. Uh, Historically, to help people understand what the Bible teaches as a whole, the church has taught the Apostles' Creed, which we say regularly together here, a summary of all that the Bible teaches, uh, to help people understand how we are to live, what we are to do, what we're not to do. Uh, the church has historically focused on the Ten Commandments, which we're going to spend some time looking at in the autumn. Uh, but to help people to pray, the church has taught the Lord's Prayer. And it's not difficult to see why that is a good thing to do. Uh, this is the model prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples when he was teaching on prayer. Uh, Matthew tells us about it here in Matthew 6. Uh, Luke tells us about it as well in his gospel in Luke 11. Uh, in Luke 11, the, the disciples actually come to Jesus and ask him to teach them how to pray. And in response to their request, Jesus gives them this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, as we refer to it. And one of the things that's striking about this prayer is how simple it is. If you ever come across prayers that other faiths consider to be model prayers, then the simplicity of the Lord's Prayer stands out even more. You might know that the Orthodox Jewish prayer has 18 benedictions. It's a long prayer that needs to be repeated. Muslim prayers might not have to be repeated at the five appointed times of prayer in order to be considered proper prayer. Uh, Hindu and Buddhist prayers are made up of 
uh, constant repetition of certain words and sounds. Uh, but the Lord's Prayer is, is striking in that context particularly because of its simplicity. It is relatively simple. It has an opening address, our Father in heaven, uh, followed by six simple petitions. It's easy to remember. Children have no problem memorizing it. And in fact, if you haven't memorized this prayer, then let me encourage you to do that over the summer. It'll be a great help to you as you seek to pray. But although the Lord's Prayer is simple, short, and it's memorable, it's also incredibly rich in its depth and in its meaning. Uh, Evil Knievel, the American stuntman, he apparently once said, I can pray the Lord's Prayer in 10 seconds. Well, Um, Perhaps he had to learn to do that as his heart was pounding before his next encounter with danger. But there's a sense in which in praying the Lord's Prayer in 10 seconds, he hadn't really prayed it at all. Because Jesus isn't giving us here um, some formulaic lines just to reel off whenever we feel the urge or the need to pray. But Jesus is giving us a framework for our prayers. He's showing us what it means to pray what our priorities in prayer should be and how prayer should change us. And so the Lord's Prayer is designed then, in that sense, not so much to be a quick snack, a quick fix, but a meal. It's a meal to be savoured and enjoyed and to nourish us as we pray. So in that context, what does the Lord's Prayer teach us? I want us to look at three things at the beginning of the prayer today. I want us to look at private prayer, personal prayer, and perspective in prayer. So first of all then, we see here at the beginning uh, of the Lord's Prayer the importance of private prayer. Now, uh, when it comes to prayer, private prayer is not the only kind of prayer that there is. We see in the Bible what we might call public prayer. Um, prayers led by someone in a gathering like this, and we all add our amen, our amen to the prayer. Uh, we see in the Bible what we might call corporate prayer. Christians gathering together to pray outside of these Sunday gatherings. Uh, But Jesus, before he outlines the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew, he shows us that he intends for it to be used in private. Look down at what he says in verse 5 and verse 6. He says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, what is Jesus' point here? His point is that uh, there are others who use prayer as a means to show off uh, to those around them how pious or how spiritual or how godly they believe themselves to be. Now, Jesus uh, is not saying when, when he uh, comes into conflict with that that uh, there's anything wrong with praying in public. The synagogue's the Jewish meeting place. There's nothing wrong with praying outdoors, street corners, as, it, as, it, as people clearly did in those days. But he's taking issue with the fact that those who are praying in the synagogues and at the street corners love to do so because it means they are seen by others. They want to be seen. They want others to think of them as pious people, as people who pray. Jesus is saying that his disciples are to be different. In fact, he says in verse 6 that his disciples should instead prioritise praying in secret, in their rooms with the door closed, in their own private spaces. 
Uh, again, we shouldn't interpret Jesus' words here as meaning that the only way to pray as a Christian is in private and secret. But Jesus is nonetheless drawing our attention here to the importance of private prayer. In a way, he's, he's also warning us that as his disciples, we will face the temptation to do just what this group of people are doing in verse 5. This group of people that Jesus refers to as hypocrites. A hypocrite is an actor, uh, someone who presents themselves as a certain type of person, although in reality they're not that person. It might be the type of person that they want to be or the type of person that they want others to think of them as. But the fact of the matter is that they are acting. They're presenting themselves as pious, godly people, but in reality it's a front, it's a mask, it's a persona. And if we're honest about it, we don't need to reflect on that for very long before we see that it's a very real temptation for us to do the same. We care about other people's perception of us. We want people to see us as serious Christians. Too often we can become more concerned with how others perceive us than we are concerned with the reality. And as the solution to this problem, as the remedy for that temptation, Jesus draws our attention to the importance of private prayer, praying in secret, praying on our own when no one is watching other than God. Robert Murray McShane was a Scottish minister in the 1800s, and he famously said, a man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. And I expect he was reflecting on this passage when he said that. Because whilst we might be able to give others the impression that we are more godly, more pious, more prayerful than we really are, God sees in secret. Who we really are is defined by who we are on our knees before God and not the public persona that we manage to create. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it means in the first place that as Christians, we ought to pray in private. We ought to spend time praying on our own. Jesus commands it here. If you're not really doing that, then start. It also means that there ought to be things that you pray for in private that you don't easily or quickly broadcast to others. Um, Jesus is showing us here by commanding us and inviting us to pray to God privately that God wants to know us privately, individually. And just as in the most intimate of personal human relationships, there are things that we don't go around quickly broadcasting because those things have been shared in the context of a private relationship. It's the same in private prayer. It means too that as Christians, the condition of our private life who we are when no one else is around is of great importance to God. That's worth pointing out because in many ways it's not something that's important in our culture today. And if you're in any doubt as to the importance of private prayer in the Christian life, it's worth noting the broader context of the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew's Gospel. At this point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is teaching. He's teaching what's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and it runs from Matthew chapter 5 to the end of chapter 8. And scholars who study Matthew's gospel highlight the fact that the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' teaching on prayer, falls right at the centre of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, to, to give you an idea of this, in the Greek, the language that Matthew's gospel was originally written in, before the Lord's Prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount, 
there are about 116 lines. After the Lord's Prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount, there are about 114 lines. It's right at the centre of Jesus' sermon. Uh, one commentator says it's, it's the nucleus of the Sermon on the Mount. It means uh, that since the Sermon on the Mount is all about living as a Christian, then private prayer is right at the centre of the Christian life. So it forces us to ask the question, is, is private prayer that important to us? Is it at the heart of what it is to live as a Christian in our understanding? And since praying in private, praying in secret is so important, the question then becomes, what should we pray when we pray in private? And Jesus tells us in verse 9 that we are to begin on a personal note. So we've looked firstly at the importance of praying in private, but secondly, Jesus shows us that we need to understand prayer as something that is personal. Uh, look down at the first line there in verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Now, why is it that Jesus, when he teaches us how to pray, teaches us to address God with this name, the name Father? Well, there's several reasons. Uh, one is that Jesus is teaching us here that when we pray, we're to address God directly. Uh, we don't pray to saints or, or angels or anything like that. We pray to God. Uh, but still, even so, when we pray to God, why are we to address him as Father? And Jesus could have taught us to address him by an, uh, another name. Uh, Thomas Watson was a, a Christian minister in London in the 1600s and he was thinking about that question. And he wrote, Princes on earth give themselves titles expressing their greatness, such as high and mighty. And God might have done so. He might have expressed himself as our king of glory, our judge, as Jesus teaches us to pray. But he gives himself another title, our father. It's an expression of love and condescension. Why does he do that? Thomas Watson says he represents himself under the sweet notion of a father, our father, so that he might encourage us to pray to him. You see, it's not that we can't use other names uh, that God uses to refer to himself by when we address him in prayer. But it's because, as another writer puts it, even though the person praying may use the various addresses in prayer... There is none so sweet, so soul-stirring, and so beneficial as saying, Father. Jesus teaches us to address God as Father because he wants us to see that God is personally involved, personally invested in our lives. It's a name that's supposed to draw us into prayer. It's a name that speaks of love and compassion, as Thomas Watson put it. Now, at this point, we do have to acknowledge that there is, sadly, often a huge difference between God's character as the loving and compassionate father of his people and what we experience in relation to our fathers here on earth. I remember going to speak several years ago at a nursing home, which the church I was at had links with, and uh, it happened to be on Father's Day. And Personally, I, I really only have... Now, fond memories of my dad, but I remember looking up and at the back of the room was a lady whose dad had 
fallen far short of anybody's standard when it comes to what a good dad should be. See, the idea of of God as a father is not for everyone immediately a sweet notion. What should we do then? Should we sidestep Jesus' teaching here and ignore the fact that he teaches us to address God as Father? No, I don't think that's a solution. There would, wouldn't there? After all, there have been many fathers in Jesus' day who would have similarly caused the idea of fatherhood to be one that was less sweet and more bitter for their children. But Jesus still encourages to address God as Father here. What are we to do with that? Well, there's one important principle that we need to not lose sight of. And it's that our earthly fathers are not always true reflections of God's fatherly care for his people. Those of us who are fathers, we we know that, don't we? We know that we are not always reflections of God's fatherly care. God is the one whom our earthly fathers are supposed to reflect, but our earthly fathers are not necessarily true reflections of him. John Calvin summed it up helpfully in the quote that's printed on page one in our reflection section today. He said, God both calls himself our father and is pleased to be so called by us by this delightful name, relieving us of all distrust. Since he could not have given us a stronger testimony of his boundless love than in calling us his sons. But his love towards us is so much the greater and more excellent than that of earthly parents. Earthly parents might abandon their offspring. He will never abandon us. We need to remember that. We need to remember that God is the template for fatherhood, not our earthly fathers. Remembering that doesn't undo all of what you may have endured as the result of the failings of your earthly father. But it ought to mean that you are able to still call on God as Father, as Jesus teaches us to do here. Do you know more than that? Reflecting on God as our perfect heavenly Father is exactly the remedy we need when we've been let down and left broken. Because the idea of God as our Heavenly Father in the Bible is so constantly tied to him being a compassionate God. A God who knows his children's frailty, who understands their difficulty. And we heard from Psalm 103 earlier in the service, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And we heard from Isaiah 63, for you are our Father Even though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from of old is your name. As I say, though we might be abandoned and disowned by our very own people, by those who have a responsibility to nurture us and care for us, God does not abandon us. God is our Father. He is our Redeemer. I once heard about a a young man who uh, was a Christian and whose father had passed away when he was a child. And there came a, a time in this man's life when uh, he was really struggling with regret towards the way that he had lived when his father was alive. He wished that he'd treated his father better and he'd been a better son. Uh, and he spoke to a, a Christian minister about his problem. Uh, and the man's father was a Christian himself. And so this minister who he spoke to, he, he thought about it for a moment. 
And then his words of counsel to the young man were, your dad would have known that you were just a child. He would have known that you were just a child. He would have been sympathetic. He would have been compassionate. Friends, whether or not that's true about our earthly fathers, it's true about our heavenly father. He knows us. He knows our frailty. He knows our sinfulness. And knowing all of that, he invites us to come to him in prayer and call him Father. Which takes us, doesn't it, to the very heart of the gospel. It takes us to the heart of the Christian message. God knows how sinful we each are. And knowing how sinful we each are, he sent his son into the world to die in our place, to pay for our sins. And all who trust in him are given this privilege of being able to call God Father. And they are the ones that know his compassionate fatherly care. And so when we pray in private, know that it is personal. You're not praying to an impersonal God. You're not praying to a detached and an aloof God who is indifferent to you. You're praying to God as Father. Private prayer, personal prayer. Thirdly, finally, briefly, Jesus wants us to have the right perspective in prayer. Uh, Jesus doesn't just teach us to address God as our Father, but as our Father in heaven. Well, what does that mean? Why is it significant? Well, the point is not so much that God is in heaven in a sense that he is separate from us, he's removed from us. The point is more that he is God. Jesus is teaching us that we're to remember that he is God when we come to pray to him. He's in control of all things. He is far wiser than we are. And when I was growing up in church services, the minister at the time would begin his prayer often by praying, God, we acknowledge that you are God and that we are not interesting that's partly what is going on here jesus is teaching us that when we come to pray to god we need to remember that god is the one in heaven as it were he is the one who is in control of all things not us how does that change the way we pray it means that we don't try and bend god's will to ours but we recognize that he is wiser than we are We recognise that in his wisdom he has good reasons for allowing things or withholding things. That from our perspective we would rather he didn't allow or didn't withhold. Because his perspective is from heaven. Ours isn't. It means that when we come to pray we should recognise that it is better for us. It is better for our loved ones who we pray for. It is better for the world we pray for. That God's kingdom be established on earth. He is the good, wise king who uses his power for the good of his children. And so we don't need to try and establish our own little kingdoms that we put ourselves in charge of. Friends, it, it means that the pressure is off. It means that we can bring our concerns to God knowing that he is both our father and the transcendent God in heaven. And it's this humble, trusting perspective that Jesus wants to be ours as we come to pray. As you come to pray in the week ahead, 
And beyond that, dwell on these things. Begin here, our Father in heaven. And then pray. So let me pray to close the sermon. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this afternoon in light of your word to confess to you that we are so often lacking in our, in our praying. And uh, Lord, even in light of that, we so often like to give the impression to others um, that we are far more prayerful, far more pious than we in reality are. And Lord, we pray that you would humble us, pray that you would help us as Jesus uh, teaches not to be like the hypocrites. And we pray that for each one of us over this summer, over this sermon series, you would be deepening our prayer life in private. And Lord, we ask that for your glory, for the good of your people and all those around us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the Connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.